Hello, and welcome to Our Heart for Teaching, where we explore the why in the teaching profession. I'm your host, Christy Everhart. Thank you for joining us today as we discuss that million-dollar question of what's your why in education? Welcome listeners to Our Heart for Teaching, where we talk about our why and our purpose in the education world. This morning, I have the immense pleasure of interviewing Ms. Jing Lee. Good morning, Jing. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to everyone who's going to listen to this. And would you go ahead and introduce yourselves to our listeners? Tell them a little bit about yourself and your history and background in education. Okay. Um, I have, uh, I've been in education for 28 years. I come from a family of teachers. My mother was a teacher. Her sisters were teachers. Uh, my father's eldest sister also was in public school. Uh, my cousins, even my niece, she teaches ESL to Korean, uh, um, Korean students. So I come from a family of teachers and it's education's been part of our, our family and you know our culture. Um, I come from, I'm originally from the Philippines, and um, my road to being a teacher is not, wasn't really planned. It just led me, the path just led me here. Um, I taught, um, I was a training officer in a, in a big department store, so that was kind of like teaching. And then I taught uh, ESL to Indo-Chinese refugees. And then after that, I, I came here. Also, um, I think karma led me to teaching. I was one of those students who was always in trouble. Well, not really in trouble, but, you know, when you're uh, in an all-girls Catholic school and you are with nuns, you get to have a tape in your mouth if you talk too much, and that was me. So it's <laughs> karma. I'm here. Uh, that's basically my road to, uh, to uh, teaching. And I've been I'm, here for uh, since 1993. I've been here in the United States since 1993. That's awesome. I, you're the first one who's told me something like karma has led me to teaching. That's an awesome way to put it. So can you tell us a little bit more about what that was like and, and how you kind of made that transition to, all right, cool, let's go the teacher route? Yeah, well, it was not like... Um, it was not really a conscious uh, decision on my part. Um, when I started teaching um, at the refugee camp, it was it was a fun thing, you know. Um, we taught ESL and uh, cultural orientation to Vietnamese and uh, Cambodian refugees who were going to come here to the United States. So it was we had lesson plans and we were trained, and it was adult education. So it was not really like uh, what we have here. And so when an opportunity came to come over here to the United States uh, for a teaching job, um, it wasn't really that serious for me, but my friends were like, ah, let's just apply just in case. And then before you knew it, we were given a visa and we were flying over here. So it was not a conscious effort to, oh, I want to be a teacher when I grow up, or I'm going to teach, I'm going to study, um, get a, a, a degree in education or anything like that. It wasn't like that at all. So, you know, uh, I guess I uh, I was just led here, you know? It was it was not really a, a, a planned thing, but I've been here 
28 years. So I guess this is where I belong. And have you been with the junior high the entire time? Uh, my first teaching job here in the United States was in Cotula, Texas, small, small town. I taught fifth grade. And then uh, when we moved here, because my husband is from Lockhart, um, I taught junior high the whole time. So I've been here in the junior high since 2002. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very, uh, very fulfilling experience, I might say. I like that. It is definitely a fulfilling experience to be an educator. Okay, so Jean, um, can you talk to us a little bit about what you were like as a student and how your teacher <laughs> and that impacted as you became a teacher? Like, did you think back on those experiences? Okay, um, hold on. All right, just just a little bit because um, I was looking at um, our um, a friend of mine sent me a, uh, a copy of. Uh, my picture, high school picture in 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 um, when we, I was in school, and like I said, um, we uh, I went to an all girls Catholic school from kindergarten to to college, which is really you know you're you are uh, raised by nuns literally, and um, she the the what was written in my yearbook, and this is what's written in my yearbook, okay. Okay. Uh, keeps an extremely neat notebook filled with extremely neat doodles. Trade Her trademark, naughty, mischievous, and contagious laughter plus saucer-like eyes, which increases in diameter whenever she tells stories. <laughs> Very effective in turning a drowsy class into a roaring mess. That is what is written in my high school yearbook. And that is who I was as a student. Um, I, uh, I, 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 school was social for me. I was your average C student. So everything was social. I had friends everywhere. I did not belong to a particular group. You know, sometimes I'd be with the popular kids. Sometimes I'd be with the, with the, uh, the nerds. Sometimes, you know, I, I did not belong to any group. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it, it was, uh, and I see that in a lot of, that's what I said about being karma. I see that in, I see myself in a lot of these kids, that school for them is a social place. It's not a place to learn. It's a place to be with friends, you know? <laughs> learning, is just, learning is just a secondary. And so uh, th that was uh, what I was uh, as a student. I was not into academics. I was into you know, like uh, joining clubs, like the drama club. I, I, I even joined basketball just because I didn't want to go for PE because our PE class was folk dancing, you know, something like that. I mean, it was just, yeah, I, I was a mess. I was, a, <coughs> I was a mess. It was only until in college that I really uh, was a, really serious about, uh, you know, academics and education, but uh, elementary and high school oh lord have mercy i you know i would be the one that uh the teacher would be looking at because you know i'd be the nuns would be uh walking next to me and i would have to 
pray the rosary because I was talking too much, you know, stuff like that. Or I remember in first grade, I was, and at that time, this was in the 60s, 70s, you were really literally locked in the bathroom because you talked too much or you were rowdy or disruptive. And I was locked in that bathroom many times. <laughs> you know, did I learn? No. And here, what happens? I see kids like that who are were like, exactly like me when I was in, in, a, in a elementary and, and high school. So, but, you know, you get older, you go to college and in, in, in our culture, in our, in the Philippine culture, it is God, teacher, parent. That's the hierarchy. And if your teacher tells you this, the teacher overrides the parent. And the parent will say, if that's what your teacher says, that's what you do. And so the, the, there is that hierarchy. And even, uh, even later on, you know, even in, in the, the present time where the, the culture of the school is different, my brothers, my, my brothers would tell my nieces, you know, if that's what your teacher tells you, that's what you do. Because it's God, teacher, and parent. That's the hierarchy. That's the how. That's how you should look at your teacher, right under God. And so it's a very powerful thing. A teacher in my in my culture is very very powerful in terms of how you influence the children. How how even parents look up to the teacher to to. Uh, for their for education, for educating their children to support their education, because uh, Philippines is a poor country, and your only way out is to get a good education, and that's why it's very very important to us. You know, it, it it's your only way out of poverty. It's your way out. It's your way to make a better life for yourself. And so, even in uh, uh, when we were young. And in the culture itself in the Philippines, you're not allowed to work if you're in school. You're not working. Your job is to go to school and do the best you can. You are not working. You are staying at home. You are not paying bills. Nothing. Your job is to be in school and there's no there's no option. You are going to college. That That's not an option. But now... Now it's a little bit looser than that. My, some of my nephews uh, did not go to college and some did. So it was not as strict as when I was growing up where you don't have an option. You're going. You're, you're going to college. You're going to finish. You'll have that diploma. And so I come from that culture. And so it was, a, uh, it was quite a, a culture shock coming here. You know, where things are a lot, the, the concept is so different. And even the way the methods are so different. But that's, you know, you learn to, you learn to move along with the, with the flow. Right. Mm -hmm. I love that story, though. That's, thank you for sharing. And the difference in culture is definitely there. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for sharing that. No, well, yeah. So you have a little bit different journey than many educators that I talk with. And, and you said it just kind of worked out that this was what you were going to do. You weren't ever like pursuing, oh, let me go be an educator. Yeah, um, right. So unlike many of us, maybe you didn't start out with your purpose of, you know, why you want to do this in the first place, because it was it sounds like it wasn't really on the, the forefront of your mind. So as you started 
being an educator and you had your visa and came over here and started working as an educator. How did you develop your teacher why and your purpose? Um, it came late. At the beginning, it was a job, you know, uh, a source of income, a livelihood. It did not come till much later. And it actually came, um, I was already here in Locker Junior High and I got this letter from this former student and he he was a student that you know you always have that student right right and every every classroom here in lockhart isd has that one child that one child that makes gives you ulcers that <laughs> one child that uh makes teachers look forward to happy hour that one child that has given up on himself unmotivated even apathetic sometimes belligerent sometimes passive aggressive and just when you're about to give up this thing i i, I like i said my my mother was a teacher and she always said you give until it hurts and then you give some more and just when you're about to give up to that child, you turn around and what does he do? He raises his hand and says, Miss, I need help. And what do you do? Turn around and you help that child. So you, you give until it hurts and then you give some more. And I guess that was the why then. Because that child, when he wrote me a letter, I, was, uh, he was, I had it in sixth grade and he wrote me a letter. He was in eighth grade and he... Uh, he said like how he, I, I, I helped him and that now he understands why I was always on him and just, you know, making sure he did his work and all of that stuff. And I guess that that became the why then, you know, that if, uh, if I could make that one difference, that difference in that one child's life in my 28 years of teaching, then it would have been worth it, you know? You give until it hurts and then you give some more. I love that. And those, that one student, I think that every educator across the universe really can have that one student every year. Oh, for sure. And for sure. They are powerful, powerful children in our lives because they are so challenging. And then also it, it almost becomes your mission. Like, no, I'm going to work with you, like you say, until you know, I'm going to give to you until it hurts and then give some more. That's a beautiful way of expressing it. And those students, when it finally clicks, it's just so precious and so wonderful. And like you say, if, if you make the difference in that one kid's life mm -hmm. over your whole career, then it was worth it. And I think that a lot of educators, you know, we're blessed because we have more than just that one that we do get to impact that life in such a powerful way. So I love that story. Thank you. Yeah, and, and it is something that you don't learn in school. It's not something you read in a book. It, it's something ingrained in a teacher's DNA. You know, it's in your, in your heart, in your soul, and you just do not give up on a child. And, you, you know, a child may not like you at that particular moment, and, you know, but later on they, they realize you know, they, they realize that that it, you are after what's good for them. You, you want what is good for them and what, what makes them success to make them successful. And it's just like being a parent. You know, I'm 60 years old and I still hear my mother's voice inside my head. 
So uh, it's the same thing, you know, it's the same, it's the same, uh, the same feeling, the same uh, wanting to be successful and wanting to do the right thing. And I think teachers all over, and I, I would say generally, and I would say here, especially in Lockhart Junior High, because that's who I'm exposed to, really understand that uh, they they do that and they 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 practice that, you know, and you just don't give up. You you just don't. Even if you say I'm giving up on this child, I'm done with you. But you're not really done with them. You're just, <laughs> right. If you're really not, you're really not done with them. Say, all right, let's go. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes, and it's that persistence that really makes a great teacher mm -hmm. in my mind, and and being willing to just put in the work. You know, even when yeah. the kid throws everything they can at you um, to yeah. not want to be successful. Yes. But um, I remember uh, I had this boy, his name is Ben, and he was in Miss uh, in Miss Thompson's class too. And he says, Miss, do you love teaching? And I said, I guess so. I've been doing this for 28, 25 years at that time. And I said, I guess I do. And he goes, oh, I thought you were only doing it for the money. And I swear, Miss Thompson and I just about died laughing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we're like, no, we're not getting paid. We don't do it because we get paid millions of dollars for it. We do it because it's in our blood. We want to help kids to be successful. And, you know, he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. Yes, that, that seems to be what children just assume of us. It's like, oh, no, no, no. There are many more things that we could be qualified for and make way more than we make as teaching. But I feel as educators, if we pursued one of those things, we would miss at our core, we would absolutely miss the job that we do and we would not find the purpose that we find inside yeah. our classrooms every day. So I love that. I love that. And that story is hilarious. So, <laughs> so Miss Leith, as you started understanding that your purpose was to really reach these kiddos in a, in a meaningful way and help them discover, you know, their success and their potential. And you've started being in the classroom more and more, and now you've been here for 28 years, which is phenomenal. Thank you so much for remaining in the teaching field and being an awesome mentor to teachers like myself. Um, our whys tend to change and develop a little bit the further we go, the more mature we get, the more educators we work with. So what are some ways that your why have changed as you've developed this maturity in teaching? Um. I'm close to retirement. Well, actually, I can retire now, but I'm close to retirement. And my why has not changed. It's my motivation that has changed. You know, it's, it is not, I am more, my motivation now is more selfish than altruistic. I want to make an impact and that makes me feel good. And that is selfish on my part. You know what I mean? If that, if, that, if that makes sense to to anybody listening, it's more used to be. It was like everything for the kids, and now as I'm getting older, and I am older, I want it more on me. I want me to feel good helping you. You know that kind of thing, and so I just I, I it's it's the idea that 
uh, if I see a former student of my, like I see former students of mine who are teaching right now and who are my co-teachers now here in Lockhart Junior High, and that makes me feel good. And the why that I had with them when they were with me still is the same, but now my why is a selfish thing that, oh, I feel good that now a former student works with me across the hall or a former student is a, a math teacher in eighth grade. You know, it, it, it makes you feel there's that selfish part of me that says, oh, I did something good. And I, I don't know, it, it, it just changed that way. And I guess it's because as you get older, you become more, and if it makes sense to become more self-centered in such a way that you value your time more. You value the people you love and you're with more. And so you value more the, the, the kids that are passing through your classroom for 187 days or 180 days, and then they'll move on. But you're hoping that somehow, somewhere, there's that little, little seed you planted in them that hopefully will grow later on. Oh, I love that. And um, a lot of times as I speak with educators, they're like, this is so selfish. And I'm like, I don't view it as selfish. I view it as, you know, exciting because in a way you're getting to see the fruits of your labor. You know, we invest so much time into these students and then they come back to our turf, you know, in our territory and they come back and now they're colleagues, which I'm still learning to wrap my head around that one. Cause I'm sure you've yeah. seen more than me. And I'm just like, I think three years ago was, you know, a student from my first year teaching mm -hmm. is now a, a kindergarten bilingual teacher. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, and it's just the weirdest feeling, but it's also amazing. And, you know, just remembering how challenging, and she was a challenging student yeah. at the time, you know, a seventh grader, but now she's an amazing teacher and in our district. And it's just wonderful for me to see that and to know that. Yeah, um, and I don't think it's selfish at all. It's just right. enjoying the fruits of your labor. Yeah, and it's not only uh, former students who become teachers. We had students here who were, who were custodians here, who were aides, and uh, you know, teacher aides and uh, paraprofessionals. And you just see them, and they they come back and say, "Miss, I understand now. I, I get it now." And that's that's really that's really something that makes you feel good, and it's very fulfilling. Like exactly. Mentioned. And I love that about our profession, because I think that not all professions, you know, who provide a service to our world, like not everybody gets to hear that. Not everybody gets to, you know, come back and see, yes, I made a difference. Right. Um, right. Yes, you get that. And we have that blessing, like that super blessing in our teaching, I feel. That is true. Very true. So Jing, we're in the pandemic right now and teaching was stressful even before the pandemic changed things. And, you know, we always have so many things that we need to do and our heart is so full for mm -hmm. everything we want to be able to do for these kids. And it feels like we're spending 24 seven just thinking about the kids and pouring into them. And then we have the data and everything else that comes mm -hmm. up with teaching that's overwhelming. So when you get bogged down with all these crazy demands that teaching brings, and it seems more and more every year, what's a way that you get reconnected with your why? I travel. I travel. Uh, once that travel ban was lifted, I booked every flight. I travel <laughs> just because 
it inspires me to see new places, to meet people, to, to see history and to immerse myself in different cultures. And, and that inspires me to, you know, connect with with my students, you know, I, I tell them stories about, you know, I've been here, been there, and it enriches your experience. And the more, and like going back to being selfish, the the more you take care of yourself and you enrich your experiences, then the more you are able to impart those those uh, experiences you have to to your kids. Um, I also surround myself with good people, like. Um, people that inspire me, people that are fun. You know, sometimes you just want to go crazy. You know, we we go to former teachers here in La, uh, in, in junior high. We get together. You know, them is Lomax and Collins and all of those. We, you know, spend uh, a weekend at the beach and we're just hanging out. We don't talk about school. We just, you know, just bond with each other. And so that rejuvenates your, your spirit. And so that when you come back to to the classroom and you see those kids, it's not, oh man, it's them again. But it's more like, okay, I'm fresh and I'm I'm inspired, and I, you know, let's get on with the work and let's do the best that we can. And so it, it that helps me a lot. It really does. Can you talk to me for a minute about? Um... You said when you go out and you have these trips with your friends, y'all actually spend the time and and you don't have a conversation about school. Uh-uh. And I know for myself as an educator, anytime I'm around another educator, like I have a really hard time just turning off my school brain because for real, that's all I think about. I'm super passionate about it. And uh-huh. I only think about school, which I love. Like, so at least I love what I do. But how do you actually take the time to turn that part of your brain off? Because that's intriguing to me. You, again, it comes with age. You learn to compartmentalize, you know, that because if, and having passion for your your career and for your your vocation is really good right but also you must have passion for yourself your well-being your mental health your your emotional state because so what i i do compartmentalize like it is difficult to turn it off but when i leave the parking lot on a friday i close it I don't check emails. I don't, you know, any of those things just because going back, I go back to the, my me time. This is my time. And when I'm with the friends, this is our time to bond. So we do not talk about, maybe we talk about school, like, you know, what grades are doing or something, but not spend time in it because the value of time you have for yourself is not just because of your job or your career or your vocation. It is also your whole being, spiritually, emotionally, you know, psychologically. All of those are part of you. And if you, if you, and I mean you, not you as you, Christy, but you as a uh, as a whole. If if you um, spend too much time on one part and not another, then you become kind of one-dimensional. 
You know what I mean? It's not a bad thing, but it's also not a good thing. It's the way it is that sometimes people are, you know, just so in love with their work and whether it's teaching or, you know, being an accountant or whatever it is. If you are too, too, um, too concentrated on that, then you miss other opportunities to be to to learn more. You know, it is good to be uh, an expert in your field. That's wonderful because that will help you help others. But you must also take care of yourself, and that's when I go back to being selfish. I am more selfish now because my time is very valuable to me and i am not going to spend it talking about only one part of myself you know i will talk about other things and 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 cultivate other interests so that i am a better person i am a whole human being and not just one dimensional if that makes sense at all that does and that's wonderful advice and i love your beautiful explanation of how you made that work for you. And I think that's great for other listeners to hear as well, because I really do feel that a lot of us just, you know, get so immersed in it that it's very difficult to separate um, who we yeah, are. It is. Who it is. Especially this part when we had the pandemic and I was telling, you know, my, my team here for the first time in 28 years, I'm taking home work. I spend, you know, I, I a weekend, not the whole weekend, but even if I take home work, I will tell myself, okay, I'll set the alarm. I will only work for one hour on a Saturday and that's it. And that's it. I'll do everything in that hour and that's it. I'm done. That's so it's, it, there's a certain, certain amount of discipline to it. But if I don't do that and I'll be like doing lesson plans until December or, you know, doing all of these things, then I've already missed my me time. I've already missed the the free time that is given to me to take care of myself, you know? So if you take homework, that's well and good, but put a uh, set a time limit to that so you're not bogged down with it. And before you know it, it, it it'll add stress to yourself. So I don't, I don't, de I don't do stress. And that's what Thompson always says. Why are you always laughing? Well, I just don't do stress. You know, it, it, it's not good for me. It's not good for the people around me. So just you, you have to learn how to really compartmentalize everything. I love it. And you've already shared some advice with other educators about, you know, setting those boundaries, having that me time, having an identity outside of teaching. What's some other advice that you would provide teachers if they are maybe feeling overwhelmed and like myself, just maybe having trouble separating their, this is who I am as a teacher and this is my me time? Um, the, the, the part of it is that a lot of, um, a lot of, um, or many, many teachers and many, especially the new ones, you know, you, you come in and you are, you want to save the world, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And my advice is do not let anyone steal your joy. If you love teaching, yes, you do. Okay. And that brings you joy. But that's not the only thing that brings you joy. It may be your family. It may be traveling. It may be reading. It may be, you know, 
uh, hiding yourself in the closet and just sit there and not think of anything, anything that brings you joy. Do not let anyone take that away from you. You, you the teachers come in brand new and they're like, I'm going to save the world. And then right away after a month, they get so frustrated because it's not the reality that they were expecting. Right. But keep that love for teaching alive, despite all the, the variables, you know, all the stuff that you have to do. You, you keep it alive. You, you, because teachers, real teachers, and I mean, and I think this will go to your next question, who keeps me inspired. Teachers like you, and I mean you, Christy Everhart, Mr. Foya, <laughs> Carney, Amy Gonzalez, Courtney Ramirez, Miss Jones, Miss DePicho, Miss Thompson, these te- you are real teachers to your core. And so you you keep that alive despite all these variables, the pandemic, the lesson plans, the arts, the 504s, the everything else that's coming our way. And it it does not it does not move you. You know, you're like a bamboo. You sway with it, but it doesn't break you. And mm-hmm. that's what new teachers must understand. And that is that does not come until you you're into about seven, eight, nine, ten years of teaching. But right. you have to keep that joy. And part of my joy, but oh, that's only a part of it. Other parts are other things like traveling and family and you know all of these things so whatever whatever you do do not let anyone take that away from you you know whatever it is that you love to do regardless whether it's teaching cooking sewing whatever it is do not let anyone steal it away from you because that is your core and that is what makes you a good teacher that's what makes you not only a good teacher but an effective one and I just, I, ho- I hope, and I see it here in, in the junior high, we have so many, so many teachers who are really, and brand new ones like Miss Jones, who are really, are really into the soul of teaching. And that is beautiful to see because a lot of us here, like I am the last one here in the sixth grade hallway from the original sixth grade core group. I'm the last one. And I'm moving, I'm tend, I'm going now, you know, the wave is moving me towards retirement. And it's beautiful to see teachers like them and like all of you young ones who, who are not jaded, who are not affected. Well, you are affected, but you are not turned over by this, the stress and by the, your love for teaching is still there. Keep it there. Keep it alive. Keep that because the world needs more people like you. But Lockhart Junior High needs more like you. I love that you said so much in those few powerful words, like staying connected with teachers who are super passionate about what they do and have that fire. And thank you for including me among that list. How are you? Um, I appreciate that. And, you know, and I love too that you mentioned this takes time sometimes, you know. Um, I know in my own experience, it took me about 10 years before I finally figured it mm-hmm. out and stopped trying to be, you know, whatever right. perfect teacher was because right. goodness knows I'm just not going to be a type A ever, no matter oh. how hard I try. It yeah. won't work. 
Um, and I'm just going to be weird. And when I started embracing that, like, that's when I really, really came alive and, you know, reignited my own fire and passion because the work in the classroom is where my heart is truly, truly at. Um, and I think being around other educators who also have that fire and that passion, you know, that really just, it helps so much on those days that are hard. Um, and definitely in my first 10 years, especially before I just really super got into my groove and and really hit my fire and passion for teaching, having those other interests especially did keep me alive when everything in teaching just beat me down and That's truly, true. truly made me think, why am I doing this? So, and yeah. And that's going back to being selfish. That's going back to being you. Once you've embraced you, once you know who you are, not only as a, an educator, but as a human being, then it flows easier. You know, it, it what your whatever passion you have comes easier and you you are not trying too hard to fit in anymore. And that's what's important. You, even when we were in school, we had those teachers who were, you know, the strict ones, the goofy ones, and you know, and and it makes diversity in the in in the school more interesting, makes education more interesting because there are people like you, and then there's people like me, and then there's people like <laughs> like Miss Thompson, and you know, different kinds of people, so that the kids are exposed to different styles, different. Uh, different techniques and later on hopefully they'll find themselves too and that is that's the core of the whole thing exactly and when they get in real world we're not all the same either because how boring would that be correct exactly exactly awesome all right miss leith i would like to give you an opportunity to share who and you kind of have a little bit but did you have anybody else that you wanted to um just shout out or mention that's you know really helped develop you as a teacher and who keeps you inspired to you know even to the closer to retirement part of your journey that's true and and like i said the teachers that are around me my team, my ELAR team right now, uh, Mr. Shinto, Mr. Foya, Ms. Blunt, Ms. Jones, we are a good team and they do inspire me every day. You know, the way they work, their work habits, their their ethics, their work ethics, their, their humor, everything. They, they really inspire me. Um, that many of... Uh, when I was in school, uh, I had this uh, English lit teacher in high school, and she was just wonderful. She inspired me to enjoy reading. My parents read a lot, you know. My we we I grew up in a house in a home, people reading a lot. But she, this teacher, her name was Miss De Guzman. She inspired me to really love reading and literature and all of that. Uh, I guess. A lot of it also is uh, you seeing how the other teachers in your area or in your in your district, even because I, when we have convocations, we have you know they they have uh, they uh, acknowledge and uh, all these teachers who have done well, and 
you really it really inspires you it really makes you feel proud that okay we're good you know this is a good place to work in this is a good these are good people to work with um i guess the the greatest greatest impact really is my mother uh, bless her soul and if you know she is the, in some un- subconscious way uh you know i i've gotten what she has been teaching like you know you 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 do your best in whatever you have in whatever you're given you try your hardest and you you sh- you give a hundred percent of what you can and if you can only give that much but it's a hundred percent then you've done well and many of the teachers here in junior high and even here in Lockhart ISD are that way despite all of the outside variables that are hitting us left and right up and down we still chug along and we're we're doing the best we can even with what we have exactly I completely agree and I love that give a hundred percent of what you have mm-hmm. and that's enough like right, right. beautiful Ms. Leith did you have anybody specifically that you wanted to shout out um I want to shout out to Miss Thompson. I miss her. Me really? too. She was amazing she was, as well. She was a good mentor. She's not was only a mentor. She's a good friend. I truly, truly miss her. But despite that, because I have a good team, I, I miss having her presence. You know, uh, but but because my team right now is really supportive and really, uh, you know, uh, very cohesive. It makes missing Miss Thompson not so bad, you know? But I shout out to her right now. And y'all were a team for, oh, for sure. as long as I've been there. Oh, 18 years, darling, 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I think our whole school felt it when she left, definitely. And, and we'll feel it again when you leave. So I'm even sad talking about, oh, no, oh, you're yeah. close to retiring <laughs> as well. Like... Man, the time and teacher continuum because it still feels like just yesterday that I started here and now it's like, oh no, like that is true. It's just weird. But um definitely she is a great shout out for sure. Yeah. Yes, that is true. Well, thank you so much, Miss Leith, for your wisdom that you shared with us as a veteran teacher this morning. You, Your interview is jam-packed with things to consider and think about. And I just appreciate you taking the time this morning to share your story with us. Thank you so much for picking me, my local I- Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that nickname's going to stick, and I laugh at it oh, every time that I that. For sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time too. Yeah, no problem. And you need you need to keep doing this, keep um, doing this podcast with you know, with um, teachers, young, old, new, old, you know, veteran, because it it's very inspiring. I'm I'm really I'm really happy for you. Thank you. I love that. And um, that's kind of what I hope to do as well is I want to talk with all kinds of teachers from all stages of where they're at. And I even want to get some student teachers because I think that they would be fun to talk to and just anybody in education world because we all like ultimately serve, you know, it's about the students and the kids. And like, I love, I love just the perspective from all over with anybody who works, you know, in a school setting. You have been listening to 
Our Heart for Teaching, where we explore our purpose and our why in the field of education. If you would like more information or to share your own purpose in education, be sure to connect with me on Twitter at A Heart for Teaching. I look forward to hearing from you soon and please tune in to the next episode of Our Heart for Teaching.